Thanks for listening to the podcast of Hope Church in East Hampton, Connecticut. Our mission is to love God, love people, and serve the world. To find out more about Hope Church, be sure to check out our website at cthope.com. Good morning again, Hope Church. Oh, that was a good good morning. My name is Carrie Burr. I'm one of the teachers here at Hope, and I'm really glad that you're here joining us. And for everyone who's joining online as well, we're so glad that you could be with us um, and be part of this community. So today we are continuing the series that we began last week about pleasing God. And if you weren't here last week, just a quick recap. We learned that first and foremost, we cannot please God outside of relationship with him. In other words, we can't know what God wants without asking him what he wants. We have to be in that relationship, in conversation with him in order to know his will and his heart. Second, we learned that we start with what's in our hands, right? God has given us his word in, his, in the Bible and he's given us the ability to pray um, and talk with him. So we begin, sometimes we can overcomplicate God's will and he says, okay, you may not know exactly what I want for you to do in this situation, but you can start with what's in your hands, with what you already know. We also talked about when we're praying over our God's specific will for our lives. Okay, what, God, what do you want me to do? What do you want me to do in this situation? We can look at our passions and our personalities as clues that God has built into us as to what he may want us to do, his purposes and his plans, because he's the master designer and he has planned good things for us, good works for us in advance to do. So pay attention to our personalities and our passions. We also talked about recognizing that our yeses build on each other. So our little yes today is going to build that yes muscle so that as we we say yes in the little things, God will continue to grow us and um, allow us to be faithful with more things. Um, And that little yes is so powerful. And we also talked finally about how we need to count the cost. That obedience to God is is wonderful and the, the cost of not obeying is always higher, but there is a cost And we have to count that as we're seeking to follow God's will. And so in that line, today's message is about obstacles to obedience. Obstacles to obedience. Um, And you may be wondering, okay, why would I want to focus on the obstacles? Is that seems a little backwards that, you know, shouldn't we be focusing on just positive things? And I think it is important for us to focus on positive things. But I also believe that the more we're aware of the obstacles that we may encounter, the better able we are to handle those obstacles when they show up. Um, I heard a story recently. There was um, an author, Charles Duhigg, and he wrote a book called Smarter, faster, better. I'm just going to get that all mixed up. Smarter, faster, better. And he shared a a message um, in which he shared part of that book. And he did research about this pilot. And this pilot in 2010 was flying a plane out of Singapore and just a routine flight. And he ended up when they were in, you know, at cruising altitude, something crazy happened. There was like an oil fire in one of the engines and it led to a part coming loose and that part just like tore up the engine. So in the, by the end, we had like multiple engine failures. The plane was nearly inoperable. Um, and I think we actually, oh yes, we have a picture there of what the, what part of that engine looked like after, this is after they landed, which they, which they did. Um, and so Duhigg talks about uh, this pilot, Decrebny, 
uh, who, who was the pilot for Qantas Flight 32. And I encourage you to go look up the story because the full story is very interesting. Um, but one thing that stood out to me about what this pilot did and why I believe he was successful in landing this plane is that every day he would get up and he would ask himself, what could go wrong? What, what is a potential um, failure, malfunction, or problem that could happen in this flight today? And he didn't ask himself this in order to produce anxiety or worry, but rather he asked, asked himself this so that his brain began to automatically think through the solutions to the problems. And he wouldn't just talk about it with himself. He would actually look at his co-pilots and his, his crew and say, okay, what if this happened? What would you do? And, and Duhek says he was so specific that he would say, where would your hands be? Where would you be looking in this emergency? And through rehearsing the potential obstacles, I think that is partly why when this crazy disaster happened midair, he was able to calmly think through and his crew was able to calmly think through, okay, what do we need to do? What's our response to this? And in the same way, I believe that when we are aware of the potential obstacles that, are, that may show up in our lives to, to obeying God, um, it, allows us, it allows us to give those to God. It gives us a humility before him, and it allows us to then be prepared to give those obstacles to God daily. Um, now, certainly, the obstacles to following God could be this giant, huge list, and we could be here for multiple hours going through all the ways that we could not obey God. And I figure you don't want to be here for three hours. So I was going to just use um, a story, a parable that Jesus shared with his followers um, that kind of highlights some a few categories of obstacles that may show up in our lives. Um, and I want you to know that for, for you, these obstacles could look different than for me. Your personality, even the season of our life may affect the kinds of obstacles that we're wrestling with right now. Um, so for you, I would just encourage you to prayerfully, as we go through this, say, God, for me, what, what right now are these obstacles? What am, what am I being faced with right now? And, and how can I give those obstacles to you? So we're going to look um, uh, at that uh, parable in a minute. But I also want to say the, pr- the first pitfall that I think many of us can have in, uh, in following God is that we can sometimes not take sin or disobedience seriously enough. And I, I mentioned last week that, that God is a God of love and, and relationship. And when he convicts us, it is truly a gift because he doesn't want um, the negative things in our life. He doesn't want us to, to follow things that will, that will harm us. Um, and yet God does care about, about sin in our lives and it is a big deal. And so I, we, we need to be taking that seriously Romans 6.16 says, Don't you know that when you offer yourselves to someone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one you obey, whether you are slaves to sin, which leads to death, or to obedience, which leads to righteousness. So it's like we have this fork in the road. We, have, we, can, we can follow obedience, which leads to righteousness, or we can follow sin, which leads to death. And that sounds a little dramatic. Like, okay, maybe if I, if I sin, does it always have to lead to death? Can it not just lead to like negative consequences? I don't know. Um, but I think the point here is, is what we talked about a few weeks ago, that, that when sin is full grown, it gives birth to death. There's, there's a, um, a pattern and a path, and the, the end of that path is, is death. And I think Paul and I think Jesus would say to us that he, he cares enough about us that he wants us to understand the weight of that. Um, I may have used this story before, but I have, I have um, you know, a few children, and they all have different personalities. And one child, if I tell them not to go in the road, 
they, they intuitively understand risk. They understand, okay, I'm not gonna go in the road because mom told me to and because there's danger there. I have another child who risk is nowhere on his radar, okay? And so if I tell him, I can't just say don't go in the road. I have to say, hey, if you go in the road, you could get by, hit by a car. There could be death, maiming, Monty Python, spurting of blood. It's not going to be pretty, right? And I don't say, I don't have to, I, I have to almost graphically describe to him what could go wrong. Not because I wanna scare him, but because I know that he needs to understand the consequence of what happens if he doesn't listen. Because if he doesn't, he's gonna get hurt far worse than, than mom scaring him with a you know, description of what could go wrong, right? And in the same way, God wants us to know when you know, we teach our kids about safety, God, God is our heavenly father and he cares deeply for us and he doesn't want us to miss the cost of disobedience. So, that said, I want to jump into this parable, um, and a parable was just a, a story that Jesus would use to explain a spiritual truth to his followers. And so in Mark 4, 14 through 20, you can follow along. Um, this is a story Jesus, Jesus is sharing about a farmer sowing seeds. And it says, the farmer sows the word. Some people are like seed along the path where the word is sown. As soon as they hear it, Satan comes and takes away the word that was sown in them. Others, like seeds sown on rocky places, hear the word at once and receive it with joy. But since they have no root, they only last a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. Still others, like seeds sown on the thorns, hear the word, but the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, and the desires for other things come in and choke the word, making it unfruitful. Others, like seed sown on good soil, hear the word, accept it, and produce a crop. Some 30, some 60, some 100 times what was sown. And so there's, there's these different uh, kinds of seed. God, Jesus is the one that is planting the seed, and he's planting the word in our hearts. And then there's the, the different kinds of soil. And he says the first kind of soil is, you know, the soil that's, uh, someone hears the word, but they don't really understand. And so they, they never really accept Jesus and then there's the, uh, the, the rocky soil that represents the, the word that is sown and people are excited to, to embrace it, but then the persecution comes or, or trials come and they don't have a root, so they fall away. And this actually, I'm not gonna go too much into that one because I feel like that's what Tom talked about a few weeks back when he talked about spiritual drift, right? When we, when we start to focus on ease and comfort, when those things come, become more important to us than, than God's word, then, then we, we fall away. We allow ourselves to drift when difficulties come. But I want us to focus today on verse 18 and 19, which talks about the seed sown among the thorns. And listen to the three things mentioned in this verse that can derail us from following God. It's the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, and the desires for other things. And I'm gonna break this down into three W words just for my benefit if not yours. Um, so we, we have wealth, we have worries, and we have multiple wills. I feel like desires for other things really it comes down to um, d different wills, different, different desires that we're following other than God's will. So we have wealth, we have worries, and we have wills. And remember this idea that we are, we are asking God to not transform, or to, to not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of our mind. And all these, all these, the worries and wealth and the, and the wills of other people or ourselves, these are all patterns we pick up from the world. And so we need to allow God to transform us. 
So I want to touch briefly on this idea of wealth. Now, God is a God who who gives us good things for our enjoyment and to share with others. Uh, So wealth is not wrong. Wealth is not an evil. But I think the important thing for us to remember is that wealth is entrusted to us. Any, any resource, our time, our money, our, um, our homes, our, it's all entrusted to us. It's on loan. And the problem comes when we start to own those things as if they're ours. And then they become idols. And then we start to, to chase those things and pursue them. God wants us to be stewards of the wealth that he's given us. Matthew 6, 24 says, No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. And this, again, is this idea of a fork in the road, right? We, we can serve God or we can serve money, but we can't go both directions at the same time. And money is a pretty terrible master. And the root, I think, of, of us following money, money often comes down to a trust issue, and we're going to see this with all three of these issues, that, that really the thing that we're following is often the thing that we're placing our trust in. And it can get to the point where I think we, we begin to say, you know, we, we say in our, with our mouth that God is our Savior. He's the one I'm trusting in. But then there's a part of us that starts to feel like, oh man, I need to, I need to make this money so that I can provide for all these things. And we have this sense of lack, this sense of not having enough. I think maybe especially during COVID, we've all experienced this, right? This, this sense of, um, man, it's easy for me to say I trust God when everything's going well. But when, when uncertainty comes and when difficulties happen, so often I realize what I'm actually trusting in. And, and then when we, when we realize that we're trusting in, in, in wealth or something other than God, we, we pull back. We instinctively like close our fists And we cannot honor God when we're living with our fists closed. 1 Timothy 6, 17 through 18 reminds us not to put our hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put our hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. We cannot serve or trust two masters at once. Um, And that verse goes on to say that we are to do good. We are to share with others, um, to be generous. And again, God, this is God's will for us, to be generous, to give freely, to lend. And we cannot do that if our fists are closed and we're trying to serve money. We have to trust that God is going to to hold us and he is going to provide for us when we seek and follow his will. This leads me to a second thing, which which is worry, right? Again, our fear of not having enough can, can lead us to, to chase wealth, to chase that as our savior. And worry ultimately is our attempt to control the future with our mind. I really think that we, we think somehow that we have this superpower that if I worry about something today, I can affect what happens tomorrow. It's never worked that way for me, but I keep doing it. I'm like, I'm, I don't learn my lesson. Um, we, we start to worry. We start to listen to the voice of worry and I loved um, Cheryl Doherty shared a few weeks ago her story of uh, when she came to know God and she was very honest about how when she followed God, that didn't mean the problems of her life went away. She still had you know, issues. She walked through her, her cancer story with us and she shared about some of her financial difficulties. Um, but I loved what she said is that as she, as she trusted God, the money showed up. Things, God took care of things in a way that she never could have expected in ways that didn't even make sense. But if we say yes 
if we, if we start to listen to worry, worry is going to always tell us that there's lack. It's going to tell us that we lack something. We don't have enough. That if we trust God, we're going to lose something, lose friends, lose money, lose our pride. And Jesus says, no, if you follow me, I, I am sufficient. I am enough. Second Peter 1.3 tells us, his divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. And Acts 17.25 says, he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. And again, just like with wealth, um, God, God is the one who has given us our lives. He's the one who's given us our breath. He's the one who's able to hold and sustain us in everything. And it comes down to, are we going to trust that? Are we going to trust that he is enough? And when we, when we trust God, we begin to walk towards him and we stop listening to worry in our lives. Finally, I want to focus on this idea of um, multiple desires, multiple wills that may show up in our lives. And I think I want to sit on this one for a little bit because I think it's a, it's a big deal, at least in my life. Um, because whenever we are pursuing a will other than God's, then it's going to lead us down that path of, of disobedience. And I, I, I think that uh, the, the obvious thing that comes to mind is we listen to our own will, right? Our own selfishness, our pride, our envy, our... Um, you know, our need to get ahead or, or have what we want. And so that can be one of the wills that we find ourselves chasing. But I, I think one of the more subtle things that we don't realize that we're doing, um, that's a, a, a desire or a will that begins to distract us from God, is, is other people. Because you know what? The, the truth is that God has given us community as a good thing. He wants us to encourage and challenge and shape one another. But at some point, pleasing other people can become an idol. It can become a way of listening to a voice other than God's. And you know what? We can't serve two masters and we can't listen to two voices at the same time. I don't know about you and your house, but in my house, um, when I'm on the phone, if I go to make a phone call, you know, everyone could be off doing their own thing. The kids are all occupied. The minute I make a phone call, somebody is right there. And they're like, mom, 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 I need to, I need to ask you something. And I, you know, I do like the no and just, you know, stop. And then usually at some point in the conversation, I put the phone down and I'm like, listen, your father is here and he has two ears and he is not on the phone. So go talk to him. And I get, I get frustrated because I tell them I can't listen to two voices at once. I can't listen to two voices at once. And the same thing is true of us with God. If we are allowing all these other voices to fill our minds um, and, and direct what we do and, and direct how we spend our time, if we're allowing other people's opinions of us and um, their expectations of us and their, um, you know, what, whatever it may be, if we're allowing those voices to control what we do, we actually are not able to serve and follow God fully. And so we must allow God to transform this in our lives. I want to share briefly um, a story about someone in the Bible who definitely, I think, can relate to us who are people pleasers. Um, this is a person who was actually a really strong follower of God. He was, he was the one who walked on water with Jesus. He was the one that, that Jesus looked at him and said, you're, my, you're a rock, and on this rock, I'm going to build my church um, this was, this was a, an amazing guy. Does anyone know who I'm talking about? Peter. So Peter was amazing, but Peter had a problem, and it was a people-pleasing problem. 
there's some alliteration for you. Um, Peter cared too much or feared too much what other people thought. And we see this um, a couple times in his life. First of all, um, there was a moment in, in, um, when Jesus had his last supper with his disciples, and then he went to the Garden of Gethsemane to pray. And then shortly after that, he was arrested and taken before the Sanhedrin. And the Sanhedrin, I, I read, was basically like almost like the uh, Jewish version of the Supreme Court, right? It was this judicial body that could decide whether Jesus would, would live or die. Um, and Peter could not go into the, the court with Jesus, but he was outside in the courtyard warming himself by the fire. And while he was out there, three times people said to him, a servant or, or someone that was standing there next to him said, hey, you were with Jesus, weren't you? You're, you're one of Jesus's followers, aren't you? You know that guy, you were with him. And three times Peter said, nope, nope, definitely not. No, me? No, not, not with that guy. That's not me. In fact, um, it gets to the point where um, Mark fourteen seventy one says, Peter began to call down curses and he swore to them, I don't know this man you were talking about. And he has this moment where he has to decide, he's like, I'm afraid of what people might do. I'm afraid of what people might think. And he allows those thoughts and he allows those opinions to pull his heart away so that he doesn't own his relationship with God but after this moment, what I think is so beautiful is that Jesus reinstates Peter. And, and Jesus looks at Peter and says, I knew this was going to happen, but I, I still love you and I still want to use you. And there's a, a quote by Dr. Henry Cloud from his book, Changes That Heal, that says, Jesus, who transcends time, could see the present state of Peter, how he would fail in the future, and how after his failure, he would mature to help others like himself. And in all of it, he totally accepted Peter. I think this is a beautiful gift that God sees our gift. He sees our struggle to please other people and, and to, to listen to their opinions of us. But he also has a vision of who he has us, wants us to be and what he wants us to do. And he accepts us now, even as he's transforming us. And the truth is that, that for, for us and for Peter, usually the things we struggle with aren't things that we just necessarily snap our fingers and we're done with once and for all. And in fact, for Peter even though this, this, this thing happened in his life and it was, you would think this would be like a thing that Peter would never do again. But later in Peter's life, we see that he still struggles with people pleasing. And uh, if we look in Galatians 2, 12 through 13, Paul actually confronts Peter because Peter, um, Peter had been uh, serving and, and teaching other people and he, he knew that God said that the gospel was meant for everyone, not just for the Jewish people, but also for the Gentiles. Um, but the truth was there were some people from, uh, the, from the Jewish group who felt strongly that they needed to show signs of salvation, signs that they were following Jesus by outward by outward signs, by, uh, by, by basically a checklist. And one of these things was that they, they believed you needed to be circumcised as a sign that you were following God. And so Galatians 2, 12 through 13 says, uh, for before certain men came from James, he, Peter, used to eat with the Gentiles. But when they arrived, he began to draw back and separate himself from the Gentiles because he was afraid of those who belonged to the circumcision group. And again, that circumcision group is the, is the group that said, this, this is what you have to do to show that you are a follower of God. And the other Jews joined him in his hypocrisy so that by their hypocrisy, even Barnabas was led astray. 
And so again, Peter knew, Peter knew God's heart, and yet he allowed the opinions and the voices of other people um, to, to cause him to, to ignore people, to leave, to exclude people, and to feel like he had to act a certain way to make other people happy. And Paul confronts him about this and says that is not the way to serve or follow God. We can't listen to more than one voice at the same time. Paul says this in Galatians 1.10, am I now trying to win the approval of human beings or of God? Or am I trying to please people? If I were still trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. And again, it's that fork in the road. If I'm trying to please people, I cannot be a servant of Christ. In other words, you have to choose the voice that matters to you. Whose voice are you listening to? I think, again, for some of us, we're afraid of letting people down. We're afraid to make people angry. Um, we're afraid um, that if we don't do what they say, honestly, I, I've struggled sometimes feeling like if I don't do what someone else wants, that I'm not a good Christian, right? Because I'm supposed to be kind and do what everyone else wants. And, but that's so backwards. And it's, it's this subtle lie that the enemy gets us to believe because when we're trying to make everyone happy, we actually can't hear the voice of God. Now, you may not be someone like me who really struggles with people-pleasing. I consider myself a recovering people-pleaser, and I'm sure that's going to be an ongoing thing. But I, I think for many of us, even if we don't struggle with that, with that people-pleasing in an obvious way, um, we may not be aware of just how much um, other people begin to take up the time and this headspace in our lives, just how often we are, are, are looking to, to get validation from others or even our attempt to get people to agree with us. And if we look at our culture right now, especially with social media, I mean, social media essentially is designed to get us to look at other people's opinions and value those and take weight in those. And so if you think you're someone who doesn't care at all what people think of you, um, I want to put up a quick picture here. This is a fake, 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 fake Facebook post. Oh, my gosh. Um, so this, this is a post by Will Disagree. And he says, I can't believe you eat ketchup. Clearly, you haven't done any research about the condiment industry. You hate tomatoes, and you're a terrible person. All right, so now this, this clearly is a joke. But you could fill in the blank here. You could replace ketchup with any other hot buzz topic right now that's out there on Facebook that people are debating and going back and forth about, right? And what, what our response to this might be, you might already know what your response to this would be. I'm going to give you a few options. Would your response to this be, um, A, let's make sure I've got this here. A, well, you're an ignorant plant lover. Notice how I correctly used your, not your. Learn English, Will. Maybe you would say, I'm really sorry I offended you. I, I, I recently made a very large donation to save our plants and, or save our tomatoes, and I promise to never eat ketchup again, ever. Or maybe you'd be C. Maybe you'd say, here's 29 articles about why ketchup is not evil. Here's an additional... 18 articles on how the condiment industry is keeping the world from doom. There's no way you can disagree with me after reading these. Maybe that's you. Or maybe you would say nothing. Any, any answer for you what, would you? what would your default be? A? I know, the, gra the, grammar, the grammar nerd in me would be like, come on, man. Um... So I feel like, again, these, these different responses might say a lot about, about what we're, we're, we're placing our, um, 
our need for approval or validation. In the first case, we don't want someone to think those things about us. And what do we do? We kind of retaliate. We find, how can I cut you down because I'm feeling attacked by you? And again, we're not letting it go. We're not able to just um, be free. We're trying to, to manipulate or control what someone else thinks of us. We feel like if we cut someone else down, we look better. In the second case, we're overly pleasing, right? We're, we're like, okay, man, I, whatever, whatever I need to do to fit who you need me to be, I will change, I will do that. And that is also a way of letting, of letting someone else dictate and change our lives. And again, the third view is our attempt to justify ourselves um, or to validate ourselves. And I think I see this sometimes. Um, I, there's definitely a time when, when we when need when we need, ah, when we need to stand up and God is calling us to use our voice to speak against injustice, to speak against things that are going wrong. I don't want to make that point that we should never speak out against things that are wrong. But at some point we have to decide, am I having an argument with this person because I believe God has called me to do this because God is, is asking me to? Or am I having this argument with this person because I secretly need to get the last word in because I need to be validated, because I need to know that that. I'm right somehow. Maybe that person never changes their mind. Are we going to listen to God? Or are we going to try to spend our time making other people happy or proving ourselves to them? And maybe none of us, or maybe very few of us would use the last one, right? There maybe are very few of us who would just say nothing and let it go. And yet, and yet, that is one of the things that Jesus has taught me through his life and so I want to look for a little bit, um, as we look at all these obstacles, what is the solution to these obstacles? What is the way that we can keep focused on the voice of Jesus and serve him in the midst of all these other obstacles? Um, and so I'm going to ask us, what would Jesus do? And if you're like me, when I was a kid, like a teenager, I used to, I had a strong, stubborn streak. I was like that compliant child, but I would secretly hold on to things and be annoyed. And when people would say, what would Jesus do? I was like, well, Jesus wasn't a 13-year-old girl who lived in Alabama, so how do I know what he would, like, I'm sure he would not do the thing that I'm supposed to do because it's totally different. Like, and yet I do think that we can look at Jesus and look at the way that he reacted and the way he responded, and it can uh, allow us a clue or an in insight into what God might want us to do in our lives. And so I want to go back quickly to the story of Peter. When Peter was outside at, in the courtyard by the fire denying Jesus, Jesus was inside in the middle of one of the most intense moments of his life. And he's before the Sanhedrin. And the, the passage says, verse 55, the chief priests and the whole Sanhedrin were looking for evidence against Jesus so they could put him to death, but they did not find any. Many testified falsely against him, but they're um, statements did not agree. Then the high priest stood up before them and asked Jesus, are you not going to answer? Are you not going to answer? What is this testimony that these men are bringing against you? But Jesus remained silent and gave no answer. He gave no answer. And again, the high priest asked him, are you the Messiah, the son of the blessed one? I am, said Jesus. I am. That Facebook post, if, if let's just say that was, that was the, this Jesus in this situation, and people were literally making up accusations against him. They were literally saying that he had done these terrible things, these false things. And you would think that Jesus, who we all know was incredibly, absolutely perfect, he could easily have said 
his truth. He could have tried to defend himself and, and made his point and proved himself to others, but he did not. He remained silent. In fact, the only thing that Jesus responded to was the question about his identity. Are you the son of God? Yes, yes, I am. And God wants us to be so rooted in him, so rooted in, in our identity in him, so rooted in, in time spent with him that we are so confident of our identity in him that we do not need to prove ourselves to anyone else, that we don't need to validate ourselves to anyone else. Jesus didn't care what anyone else thought. He didn't need to prove himself to them. Even when he was on the cross dying and people were hurling insults at him and saying, hey, if you're God, you could save yourself. You could get down from there. He didn't prove himself to them. And by not proving himself to them, he actually did prove himself, right? Over and over in Jesus's life, if you look at, you know, whether it was Satan tempting him in the desert and, and trying to convince him, that, that he needed more or that, or that he should, um, you know, that he could get wealth, that he could get power. Jesus said, no, I'm listening to my father. And when his, his, his disciples didn't always understand and the Pharisees were always questioning his authority and even his own parents at times questioned him and didn't believe in him. But 1 Peter 2.23 says, Jesus entrusted himself to the one who judges justly. He entrusted himself to the one who judges justly. Jesus firmly kept his eyes on, on Jesus, or sorry, on God. And if you notice throughout Jesus's life, we see him pulling away, away from the crowds to be by himself with God or praying in the garden. Um, and, and you see, even in the garden, he says, okay, God, this is my will. You know, let this cup be taken from me. I don't, he's, he admits his struggle to go through with this death on the cross, but he says, not my will, but your will. And that ability to trust and to leave himself and, and hear the voice of God comes from being with God more and more. And so you may notice this theme, just as we know God's will by being in, in the presence of Jesus and spending time with him, we also become, overcome obstacles to obeying him by being in his presence. And it's very much to me like this idea of a cocoon. You see this caterpillar that transforms into an amazing butterfly. And it starts through this process of, of withdrawing, of being enclosed and of, of hiding away in, in a sense from the world. And that is precisely the space in which God transforms us. Just like a butterfly is transformed in that time, we're transformed in those places, in those moments where we're spending time with Jesus. And I want to say this too, because I, I was praying this morning and I feel like God was making this very clear. It is not about us just keeping our eyes on Jesus. We might think that it is up to us to be obedient, up to us to keep our eyes focused on him. And we might think, well, if, if I'm, you know, if, if I'm not looking at the world to validate me, who is going to see me? And Jesus reminded me that he always has his eyes on us. Even when we are not obedient, even when we are, are falling away, he is always seeing us. And not in a like Santa Claus, he's, you better watch out kind of way. Jesus says that, you know, a sparrow doesn't fall or a bird doesn't fall outside of his father's notice. And in the same way, we are, worth, we are worth so much more than a bird. God sees you and he cares deeply for you. The details of your life matter to him so much. And when we truly live in that, when we truly believe that, we can listen to his voice. We can trust him more. And we can step out into the places that he wants for us to be. And so we must ask ourselves today, who will you serve today? 
Whose voice are you going to listen to? Are you going to listen to things that fade and fail and people who, who are fickle and whose opinions change? Or are we going to trust the God who is unchanging, who is faithful, and who sees us in every single moment? And as we, as we trust in God, he is going to lead us out and into incredible, powerful ways, and he's going to give us a vision for how he wants to change the world through us. And so next week, I'm going to focus on that. I'm going, to, I'm going to move away from these obstacles and focus on what is the amazing, beautiful fruit that God wants to produce in each of our lives and as us as a church as we pursue and obey his will. God, thank you so much. Thank you that you see us. Thank you that, um, that you hold us. And thank you, God, that, um, that even in our failure, you already see the hope and the, and the vision of who you have made us to be. Thank you that you never leave us or forsake us. Thank you, God, that nothing can separate us from your love. And I ask that for each person today that you would just flood them with grace and, and give them wisdom to see where their obstacles may be. And I pray that as we do that, God, you'd lead us more and more into yeses to you and into your heart for us. Amen.